So today we are celebrating Robert Louis Stevenson's birthday, 13th of November, 1850. Yes, so you might know him for Treasure Island, Kidnap, mm-hmm. those kind mm-hmm. of adventure stories, but also my favourite one, The Strange Case of Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde. Very gothic and probably, I think, the best example we've got of the double, the gothic double in, uh, in Victorian literature, which I love. So if you watched last month's podcast or listen to last month's podcast then you had us talking about dream and what the victorians thought dreams were and kind of in this early um development of psychology and actually the idea of double and dream Mm -hmm. are also really closely connected so kind of coming back to dreams a little bit so the idea for the strange case of dr jekyll and mr hyde i don't know whether you know this already but it supposedly came to robert louis stevenson in a dream Oh, that varies. As I whispered into the mic last episode, Inception. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it just seems very fitting. So he actually, he wrote um, a chapter on dreams in 1888, and he kind of explains like, where the idea for this um, came from. And he says that he had this dream, and it's quite, we won't get too far into it, but it's quite strange. He kind of... Um, he attributes it to these like brownies who kind of like give the dreams, give the uh, the idea to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and we he, know what brownies are from Jackie's episode. We do. On fairies yes. in Jaina. <laughs> so if you're not sure about brownies, highly recommend. Yeah, go back, back to our there. April episode. Yeah, Jackie explains it very nicely. So it is, it's this like fantastical dream where he gets the idea for Jekyll and Hyde. Um, if you're listening to this and you, you don't really know the story of Jekyll and Hyde, um, the basis of this is you've got a man who drinks this, I hesitate to say potion, but essentially it's a potion. Um, he drinks this kind of chemical concoction that allows him to divide himself into Dr. Jekyll, mm-hmm. which is basically the person he was before mainly and also Mr Hyde so as Mr Hyde he is the other side of himself he is the he's um, hidden Hyde yeah exactly the bit that the bit that he wouldn't have let the world see but because it's Mr Hyde doing it and not Jekyll it's kind of okay he can let Mr Hyde do the things that he can't normally do in society so This all comes back to the idea of the double brain, Mm -hmm. which is actually a, um, it comes from, its origins are from a much, much older uh, time. So um, Rene Descartes in 1649, um, he wrote Passions of the Soul, which I don't know if you're familiar with. No, tell me about it. So in Passions of the Soul, he kind of tries to explain that the soul, okay, can be found in the pineal gland. Where would that be? <laughs> so, this is, um, in our last episode, we talked about the uh, physiological explanations for dreams and how yes. kind of at their most extreme that would be like you can find the origin of everything that happens in your body. If you dissected it, it would be there somewhere. So part of this, like proving the existence of the soul, um, was, you know, where is it? If we've got it, then physically it should be in us somewhere and yeah Descartes argues that it's in the pineal gland uh, which is 
all to do with the brain again. Sorry, I just had a really weird Victorian <laughs> Mr. Hyde intrusive thought of like finding what it is and just having tons and tons of like bottled souls. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> That'd be a great gothic story actually. <laughs> I'm totally telling on myself. <laughs> Maybe we've read a little bit too much gothic. <laughs> too much. And, and this particular text got me early because I was in the middle of nowhere in Scotland. And I happened to find a bookshop and I ran out, I, I, I can't remember where I was. I was like, it was raining, it was dreek, it was on like the edge of this massive lake. And I went into this bookshop and I found like a copy of, um, you know, they have like a, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and other stories, like Penguin oh, yeah. Edition. Or like, no, it's the Oxford Edition, you know, like the red and white yes. one. Yeah, so that's, it must have been like 13, 14. And I was just like, oh. This seems that was a very gothic y situation. Yeah, that seems like the perfect appropriate moment to pick up um, Jekyll and Hyde. Um, yeah, so from that kind of um, really early, this is the physiological kind of sections of your brain where things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, then coming into the Victorians, it's not quite as extreme as that. So we don't have like this is the seat of your soul so much anymore. Oh, but um, now we've got this much more distinct kind of there are two halves of your brain and this is what they do so some people call this double brain some people called it the dual brain um in some senses it's they were kind of right okay so you do see experiments um you can see these in the popular periodicals as well as in science so you can um, talk to me about the pigeons Oh yeah, I forgot I showed you the video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, we won't put this up on on the video, but in the Cornhill magazine, which is a general periodical edited by Thackeray, there is a um, they had a lot of pictures, and so there's a woodcut of an experiment that they performed on pigeons, where they took out the left side of the brain to see what would happen to it, um, and then took out the right side of the brain to see what would happen to it. So. There were, there were experiments like that, and it was, as I said, to some extent, they kind of were right, because obviously looking at what happens to an animal if you remove one side of its brain, it did live, it doesn't die if it's only got one side, mm-hmm. um, which is an important part of this theory, because technically, with double brain, you can only have one side, and that's fine, it's just that both sides do different things. Which side am I meant to keep? <laughs> but it kind of depends what you want. So okay. for um for a lot of these arguments, it's about a, like a masculine or feminine side of your brain. Okay. Now you can imagine where I'm going with this. <laughs> what goes on the masculine side? What goes on the feminine side? So masculine side is the left side, I think, and that's okay. supposed to be like logic, whereas the right side is the feminine side, and that's more like your emotions. Okay. Um, they weren't quite as Cut and dry as that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was for them, but yeah. Like, but in reality, <laughs> some no. things, yeah, some things were kind of right. So you know, now obviously we know if you damage one section of your brain, you might lose the ability to speak, for example, mm-hmm. but not certain other capabilities. So mm-hmm. kind of is segmented, but just not not in this way. So um, one of the other kind of conclusions I guess from that was that if you're studying the criminal mind Mm -hmm. um, people started to say that well maybe criminals become criminals because it's 
imbalanced between the left side and the right side. So they did um, an experiment with a woman who was a murderer. And so is this another excuse to just be like your feminine brain, all of those emotions, <laughs> yeah. overwhelming your logic? Yeah, exactly. Right. So <laughs> if you um, if you get an imbalance, if you exercise one side of your brain more than the other and it becomes unbalanced, then maybe you do do something irrational, like commit a murder. Um, and yeah, there were some people who claimed to have experimented on prisoners who'd done terrible crimes and, and said that they, they could prove this. Actually, the right side of their brain was enlarged. Was that taken particularly seriously by like the criminal justice system? Because I can imagine it, if it was something that was believed and, I don't know, say a woman and a man who had committed similarly terrible crimes came to you and they both argued that you know the feminine part of their brain was overexercised, overexerted. it might be easier to just feel to look at the woman and just go oh yeah she poor hysterical thing yeah You're, it's not your fault yeah whereas so, it potentially either might be difficult or on the flip side if, I suppose if you won that argument to some extent knowing the gender situation of uh, Victorian norms difficult if you were a man to sort of say it was the feminine side of my brain and either someone would just go no don't be ridiculous you're just a terrible person who's done terrible things yeah. or they'll just be like oh you can barely call yourself a man because you have a feminine brain yeah oh, I mean like as you're <laughs> as you're kind of getting out there it is complicated mm. and it kind of it depended some people really went in for this and so it was kind of um, seen as a potential cure for insanity, for example. Mm -hmm. So if you said this person, yeah, they murdered someone, but they did it because they were insane. They had limited responsibility for that. And you could say, well, look, we can prove that one side of their brain was enlarged and therefore that's what made them do it. Can you explain them? Well, (laughs) yeah. So scared, what do I do? There is, there is, well, yeah it wouldn't wouldn't be the easiest thing to prove but also it gives that kind of physiological reasoning behind something that otherwise they were kind of struggling to um to prove to rationalize and you know not everything's always rational but we know the victorians like to rationalize they like to understand things there are people with a drive to well all people with people who try to understand (laughs) things but victorians usually quite making a lot of attempts um, on this, so yeah, I don't like the way you said attempts. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm scared. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that is also um, again, if you were listening to last month's episode, then I know that we talked about the connection between dream and insanity, and how because of the way that the Victorians thought about um, mm-hmm. dreams and what caused them and what they were, uh, they were it, well, the dream as a state was considered to be basically the same as insanity as a state. Um, and so you get all of these kind of very subtle crossovers. Now, one of the other things that complicates it is to what extent is that your fault? So, yes. like I said, you if you have one side of your brain enlarged, then that's going to lead you more to one side than the other. Mm-hmm. But is that part of your brain enlarged because it was naturally that way or because you exercised that part of your brain too much okay i have to ask is this linked to like forms of personal is okay is this linked to like forms of personal responsibility particularly around substances 
So, like, if you drank a lot, for example, would they be like, oh, you have actively enlarged that part of your brain. Therefore, it is your fault that it is enlarged. Therefore, even if technically it was enlarged and might be seen as not your fault, it is your fault because you caused it to do that. Yeah. So this is something that we actually see in Jekyll and Hyde because where you've got Dr. Jekyll, who's the he's the professional and he's just, you know, he's, he's the socially normal, quote unquote. And um, like, how has... normal are you if you're... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, but he wants to let out the other side of him. Mm. And at the beginning, you've got this combination. He is both Jekyll and Hyde, essentially. But when he creates this chemical formula that divides his two selves into kind of like literally physical mm-hmm. selves um then Hyde is can, can go off and do things without being interfered with by Jekyll the other side of the brain and the more he does that the more Hyde the right side of the mm. brain gets exercised the more control it starts to take until spoiler alert um he can't get rid of Hyde anymore he can't stay Jekyll it becomes more and more difficult because it's arguably the right side of the brain getting more exercise and therefore taking more control so one of the things that I think is also really interesting about the idea of double brain but also Jekyll and Hyde Mm -hmm. is the fact that Hyde or the right side of the brain is something that he's not supposed to let out mm-hmm. right something that he's societally is not accepted and so he has to create hide to to let himself be free with that and nobody knows what that is because Ravelia Stevenson is very vague about what terrible things quote unquote it is that Hyde is doing and there have been a lot of different interpretations about that so like some people interpret it as like homosexuality is that the the side of Jekyll that he's trying to hide. Other people have said, no, it's not that. It's the kind of, like, violence, mm-hmm. the violent side of him that he wants to let out. And there's potentially arguments to be made for both. It could be a combination. It could be none of those things. But, um, yeah, so I think that is an interesting element of it, mm-hmm. especially because the Gothic itself was a lot of the time seen as this kind of subversive form of literature, something that you might want to hide if you have that interest. Yes. So are you thinking about Elizabeth Gaskell now? Yeah, because I know you like Gaskell. (laughs) I do, I do. It's almost distressing how often I bring her up, just constantly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because there's that bit in Wives and Daughters um, with Claire the confusing name, the confusingly named Claire. Yeah. Um, the governess turned second wife of Mr. Gibson, so Molly's stepmother. Um, and the fact that there's references to the fact that she has like these dirty dog-eared copy of um, novels. And obviously as a governess, you know, novels and I mean, you get, I've, I've just finished doing some reading with my corrections and there are all of these texts from governesses basically explaining how unhealthy it is for your mind 
it's really interesting how many of them refer to it as like sweeties and like delicacies they're just like oh if you feast on novels alone then you just end up with this sweet tooth and you can't like process like any wholesome food or wholesome like um information or education (laughs) which is interesting um and actually quite a lot of libraries seem to have some um distaste for women in those settings so I think I told you um there was one that basically again I don't I don't understand this at all but for some reason apparently mum was flinging ink on the floor while they were I don't know writing letters copying things down but basically in one of these periodicals it was saying men were really annoyed by the presence of women because they could no longer put um sawdust on the floor to kind of dry up the ink because women were like they're swishing skirts it would get stained and dirtied otherwise um and one of them very specifically was like women so slovenly like they're constantly doing something while they're reading so there were like criticisms of women getting their hair done while they were reading or like cooking while they were reading or like drinking (laughs) I know drinking or eating and you know, I was reading this, I was just like, there are so many rules, because you know that I do like conduct. There's so many rules of being like, you should never eat um, eat and read at the same time. You, sh- you certainly should not be reading for luncheon. And there were all these rules, and it seems like you'd have like 15 minutes in one evening to read. You're also not allowed to read in bed, because that was also what made women reading seem really lazy mm-hmm. and things like that. So this is around... All of this stuff was coming around the time, sort of basically like from the 1840s, like 1880s, what I was reading. So Gaffel kind of like slap bang in the middle. So all of that stuff is probably um, impacting to a certain extent her character, Claire. So she doesn't think that she can read. And given the fact that some novels are supported by when women writers and women activists of the period, they say, no, this is actually, some of them are really good, particularly... Um, we see Anne Letitia Barbold support Bernie and Edgeworth and a variety of other women. She mm-hmm. says, no, they're educational. They show you the pitfalls. They show you the dangers. A bit like we were saying before with Gaspel's Ruth. It's usually seen as quite an unacceptable book at the time because it has a woman who has sex and she has a child outside of wedlock. Um, but it's used as a way to explain the dangers. Given the fact, though, that Claire is so she feels like it's a sin it's it's kind of a sin that she has this book I would assume that it was not one of those novels of manners or even not even maybe well knowing Claire as a social climber it might have been a silver fork novel it might have been sassy work but also (laughs) knowing Claire probably gothic yeah and even the fact that it's presented as this kind of like uh, tatty dog-eared book it's like it's not pristine and pretty it's this kind of like illicit thing that you're going to sneak into maybe your pocket or yeah uh, yeah you you don't even have a don't even have a proper bookmark um with it you know you probably I mean that woman's constantly hiding like the tatty (laughs) bits of her life you know hidden under a pillow this that and the other just sort of like constantly secreted away and even because it's kind of sad because it also sounds like almost a beloved object as well like because you sometimes like dog ears like because you want to go back to a certain passage and even if it is from the sensationalist idea of gothic of being like oh I want to feel this specific type of terror again if we're going to go with like an Anne Radcliffe kind of vibe yeah it's it's sweet and sad almost for a woman or a character in literature that is really difficult to give any sympathy whatsoever (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it, it just it strikes me as really ironic that with the gothic taking on that kind of role of this is something that is you know subversive, illicit, something that you might want to hide. And obviously, the strange case of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde is a gothic novel, um, and it's all about wanting to hide the um, the more like subversive or the the part mm. of yourself that's not going to be socially acceptable. It just yeah, it does strike me as really ironic. I also feel like I can't help but bring up Northanger Abbey here because whenever I think of attitudes towards the gothic, I do think of Northanger Abbey, which I know we've talked about before as kind of slated a lot by various uh, by various people, but we like it. We're we like it. Fans. <laughs> We're fans. We think it's great. Henry Tilney, bit condescending, but out of all the heroes, <laughs> I think we'll go for him. Um, I like, I love, I love Catherine. She's just living her life. I love it. Yeah, I do as well. I mean, if we're thinking about the kind of attitudes towards the Gothic and this like potential danger mm. of women reading the Gothic, that's got to be the best example, doesn't it? I think really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Very kind of um, fun, tongue in cheek. I yeah, I thing, I do it. I do really enjoy it. Yeah, and because like a lot of the time, like Catherine isn't wrong. She's she's yeah. she's right for the wrong reasons, but she is right. <laughs> yeah. They should listen to Catherine. She had um, she had some good ideas from her gothic novels. Exactly. I mean, if you take it all as kind of like metaphor, but which like that kind of idea that like General Tilney is this kind of vampiric role, and he's mm. kind of like sucked the life out of his wife. He kind of did. Yeah. Just not in a literal way. Yeah. So that was our segue in defence of Northanger Abbey. <laughs> Coming back to the, the double brain. So, yeah, we get this, like, separation of um, this is the good side of you, Mm -hmm. essentially, this is the logic side of you, this is the more chaotic, emotional, potentially criminal side of you. Um, And, yeah, it it becomes very literal in Jekyll and Hyde. And it also is obviously the kind of the same thing that we're talking about with Dream, where if you can't rationalise, if you can't, keep those two sides together essentially if you let that slip then that is insanity that is out of control and this is a real fear it does sound like a very stressful state to be in thinking that at any moment if you indulge too much in emotion you will lose your mind and forever just be altered and be unable because technically if you exercise the right side of your brain so you're getting super emotive and you can no longer get rid of Mr. Hyde. Then technically to reverse that, all you'd have to do is exercise the left side of your brain so it was stronger. Yeah, but the Mr. Hyde wouldn't want to exercise the Jekyll side of him. And I think that's where it like it becomes like an untippable balance. It's only ever going to get worse mm. with, uh, with Mr. Hyde. Okay, the reason I bring this up is because I saw several weeks ago the weirdest video I think I have ever seen um I think it was called reason versus logic and it looks like it was created sort of vaguely I want to say 1950s or 1960s and it had this idea that like in your head there was reason and there was logic and it's like a little caricature it's a bit like um oh my god why can I not remember this um the you remember the film the Disney movie that you saw five characters it's like happy sad 
angry, oh, um, disgust. Can't remember. Oh what my is that God. called? I don't know. <laughs> it's completely flown out of my head. I can't remember. But that's Inside from... Out? Inside Out! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So it was kind of like that. And I think that it, it it's strange that it's permeated so far. Yeah. Because you had, like, you know, reason was very straight-laced. And um, emotion was kind of, like, drawn as a caveman. And it was really strange because in those two conceptions, it had a man and a woman. <sighs> Basically... The man, when emotion was, um, he's walking down the street and the man basically sees a woman and emotion takes literally the driver's seat. It's like characterized as a car. And he goes up and clearly whispers something very inappropriate to this woman. Right. And I was like, okay. And then when it goes to the woman's side of things, um, the, the one image that really stood out to me was her emotion taking control was basically her eating a chocolate bar and it kind of like gave you this um silhouette of her ballooning out and I was like okay so what we're taking from this is the worst thing a woman can do is gain weight versus a man saying unsolicited inappropriate things to women on the street I was like this is an interesting insight into the right side left brain um sorry yeah yeah, conception in yeah. like the late 20th yeah. century and yeah. our links there and, and then, how we still see it is quite gendered as well yeah and it, actually that's you get that pretty much exactly that in victorian times as well in mm. periodicals there are some um, like personified reason and logic and how they kind of like they go to sleep when um when you're dreaming because reason and logic don't have much to do with that like chaotic transition of the, of the dream state so yeah and also you just mentioned there like emotion had the like caveman appearance yeah. and actually again if you think about Jekyll and Hyde and the fact that as we've talked about again on a previous episode you had phrenology in the Victorian period and the idea that actually if you were criminal or quote unquote evil you would be able to see that physically there would be a physiological kind of symptom to that um and so when you when people see Hyde, he is visibly different mm-hmm. to Jekyll. So like his forehead's a different shape and his facial features are different. Fusion is like hunching over as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do get an element of the kind of like monstrous to that, but you can definitely see that belief in the fact that you're like what's going on in your brain yeah. is physically affecting um, visible on visible on the outside as well i will tell you when you were saying that it could be proven which side of your brain and not that we like phrenology phrenology <laughs> is not great but the only thing that when you said you could prove it i thought phrenology has to be the best way of doing that in, ter- in terms of being non-invasive yeah i okay. was just like god yeah. i hope that they're just measuring people i yeah, hope they're not measuring doing your head yeah anything that would else. Be in general Oh, thank no God. Idea. Honestly, I had yeah. I had nightmare fuel. <laughs> Were you thinking, like, oh, live, oh. <laughs> live experimentation? Yeah. Well, hey, Luke, these, these people were taking out pigeons' brains. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't put it past them. Very true. <laughs> but, I mean, another good example of um, that idea of both the dual brain and the fact that you can physically see 
when you start to be cut like balance one way or the other is in the picture of Dorian Gray. Mm. Because of course when Dorian Gray wants to do bad things, wants to um, do like all of the things that he wants to do. We'll be coming to Dorian Gray, hopefully in a future episode. Um, So we won't go too much into that. But yeah, when he wants to do his like bad, quote unquote bad things, um, the portrait is the thing that is affected by that physically. It Mm -hmm. is the thing that changes uh, where he doesn't. So yeah, again, you've got that kind of attempt to separate the two things. And, you know, that's, it's not so different, although in a less kind of science fiction terrifying splitting of the self way, it's <laughs> more in a um, creepy kind of real creepy psychological gothic way, I think. Mm. But nevertheless, in either case, um, this I think really fascinating mm. representation of kind of what people were doing with or what people were thinking about with the function of the mind, the function of the brain, um, and kind of what makes us us, mm-hmm. and how we can or cannot separate sides of ourselves that we might want to be or not want to be, and what might happen if we give in to things that we want to do, maybe aren't societally acceptable, and there was a, just a lot happening there, and there's a lot to dig into um, in terms of just Victorian society mm. and how they thought about science, but also as kind of more in your field, manners. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And, and that idea that, like, you are only a couple of bad choices away from something really, really bad and some something really bad happening to you that's irrevocable. Yeah. Which, to some extent seems like an unnecessary psychological pressure of being like, I can't even have this thought, otherwise yeah. I will slowly become this terrible person. Yeah. But on the other side of things, if we're looking at it from a manners perspective, it's like kind of yes, a bit a bit like today, you, you are only a I don't mean to be grim, but you are only a couple <laughs> of bad things happening yeah. you, to you away from your life being very, very different. Yeah. So some of it seems Un, like unnecessary stress and some of it, it does seem like um, yeah. a realistic a reaction and you know again think going back to dream from our last uh, our last episode one of the fears associated with dream is if you can't control yourself if you can't control your dream then you might dream of things mm-hmm. or if you're a sleepwalker for example you might do things that reveal to other people the things that are secretly in your desires that you don't want other people to know so same fear with the double brain. Fear for Hyde, for Jekyll, sorry, um, and why he creates Hyde. He can't have people see Jekyll as the person that desires these things. Mm. And I wonder how many people who were caught having, for example, murdered somebody or another mm. terrible act basically said, oh, I was asleep, going back to our previous episode. Yeah, some people did. That's actually... How do you prove that? You couldn't really. So yeah. Again, complicated. Maybe complicated. Not, maybe not getting into it now. But yeah, people did try that. Um, there's also kind of really old cases of. Uh, we maybe can get them. <laughs> this is a different time, but really old cases of arguments that if you dream something, are you actually already doing something that's 
illegal because that is your inner secret desire to do that thing. So, for example, if you dreamt of killing someone, does that actually mean that you should be locked away because actually you desire to murder a person? Okay, this has incredibly (laughs) intense links to, like, the history of treason. Mm. I'm just being like, even having a conversation, even thinking, for example, about killing the king, technically would count as a punishable offence. Yeah. So there's that. But I have also been thinking about, like, criminal conversation. Do you know what that is? No. Okay. Criminal conversation is essentially a woman uh, engaging in adultery. Yeah. Because, again, it was kind of put in, like, a very pretty, wrapped-up kind of way of somebody saying, um, not, without, like, essentially going up to someone and just being like, so-and-so slept with so-and-so. Mm. It's, no, this gentleman engaged with a, in a criminal conversation, sometimes known right. as crimcon, okay. um, by those in the know, um, <laughs> with a lady. Um, and when charges are kind of, like, brought up, it's kind of treating the woman like she's property. Mm. So, basically, you have to pay property damage in that trial because you've damaged another man's property. Because, like, oh, wow. yeah, that's interesting. Um, but it, it's kind of like all of those kind of distancing links are just being like a dream, a thought. Yeah. Things that you can't control. Yeah. Or like a conversation. And how much does that like relate to, to action? Because yeah. in the past, it has done quite intensely, like I say, with um, people being brought up and charged of treason or people being brought up on charges of criminal conversation. Because sometimes there's lots of evidence, and sometimes there's almost no evidence. Because, again, how do you um, how do you prove a conversation took place? Yeah. So on that disturbing note... <laughs> terrifying note. <laughs> terrifying note. I hate it. On loss of reason and um, criminality. And um, people being seen as property. Yeah. We, we leave you with that final spooky creepy thought for the month because the next time we see you it will be christmas there'll be nothing spooky or creepy aside from (laughs) potentially dolls because those are terrifying or ghosts because victorian (laughs) oh my god oh because well we are called all the year round and dickens he did love a ghost story christmas he really did yeah and he liked getting everybody in his social circle to write a ghost story at christmas as well (laughs) Well, you know, it's only right in <laughs> Victorian uh, times. But yeah, we'll see you for festive thoughts in December. Bye for now. Bye.